All right. That salt gets me every time. I had to go get some water. Can't really speak after that. Um, so before we start the sermon, I uh, wanted to do some housekeeping. Uh, we are finishing uh, Jonah tonight, uh, which is sad because it's been an awesome study. Um, but uh, I want to give you a heads up where we're headed. So next week, we're going to be in uh, Joel, the book of Joel. And, uh, and then we're just going to be there for a week, for one Sunday. You'll see how similar Jonah 4 is and Joel. Um, but then after Joel, we're going to take a break from the Minor Prophets. And um, we're going to start a study through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and so um, we decided to break up the Minor Prophets by uh, focusing um, really on them during the months of August and September. Uh, and so we'll be in the Gospel of, uh, of Mark through the majority of 2024. Um, but I just wanted to give you a heads up about where we are heading. Um, but tonight we are going to uh, complete Jonah. We're going to wrap up this study. And, um, and I'll be honest, like I've never studied Jonah this in depth before. Um, I can't remember, um, usually growing up in church, you like, you hear about the well, you know, you hear about how they responded, but I don't remember hearing a lot about Jonah four, you know? Um, and so, but I think this is probably my favorite chapter now after studying it. Uh, and so, but um, question before we get started, have you ever been in a, um, in a public place and saw somebody uh, lose their temper? Like somebody just like straight up like went rage monster in public. Um, that happened to me this past week. Not I lost my temper, but yeah, that sounded weird. Um, so, uh, at the beginning of this week, I went to uh, the casino in Murphy to study one morning before 8 a.m. Sometimes I go there to study. They have a nice food court, okay? Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not weird once you go, you know? There's a Starbucks there, you know? It's, it's a good place to study. And so, um, and <laughs> anyway, I just gave, I gave away my study spot. I need to find a new one. Um, so I pull up in the parking lot, and uh, before I got out of my car, I heard this guy screaming. And I was like, this dude's really mad. Um, and, and so um, I get out of the car, and I'm, I know he's talking to a woman. And I'm like, oh, this lady's about to get beat. Like, I need to go see where, where, where what's going on, where this is. So I start making my way towards the noise, and it's towards the door. And... Um, if you've ever been to the casino, you know that there's like this nice little like uh, place where they can smoke. Whoever wants to go out and smoke, they have heaters out there. And, and I, I, I hear this guy screaming and like he is irate. Um, and I still don't see him or her. And then I'm about to walk in and I see that he's sitting down on a bench and he's on the phone. And I was like, oh, okay. But just in that, like those maybe minute, just few seconds of me walking from my car to the door, I heard more cuss words in those few seconds than like a full Quentin Tarantino movie. Like it was insane. 
Um, and I mean, he was belittling this woman. He was tearing her down, her identity. He was building himself up. Um, but he was just, he was absolutely cussing her up one side and down the other. Um, so to say that he was angry is an understatement, right? He, he was irate. And now every person in the room has experienced the emotion of anger. We've all experienced it. Um, anger can be manifest itself in, in different ways in different people, right? Uh, some people are the quiet, like seething kind of anger, which is very scary because you don't know what they're thinking. Other people um, explode in a moment of rage and you clearly know what they're thinking. They have no filter. It's just, you, you see it, you hear it. Um, and those are outbursts of anger. Um, in my studies, one author said, anger is an emotion we feel when our expectation of justice is not met. Uh, one thing that we're gonna learn tonight from God's word is that his definition of justice is vastly different from ours. When somebody is angry, they often have great concern for something. And usually it's for themselves. And so as we close out the book of Jonah tonight, we're gonna see God address an angry prophet and we're gonna see God teach him a lesson. But first, let's uh, look back at chapter three, verse 10, leading into chapter four. So with your Bibles open, let's look at uh, Jonah chapter three, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. So we're told um, that Jonah goes in. Last week, Spencer preached that Jonah went in and preached this sermon that was very brief, 40 days, and none of it will be overturned, right? And so there's like, you have some Sodom and Gomorrah vibes here. Uh, the verb overthrown definitely signifies total destruction, which is what a wicked people deserve from a holy God. But my question was, when Spencer was preaching and all throughout this week, was why 40 days? Like, if God was so fed up with Nineveh, if their wickedness and their sin was so great, and he, and he was ready to be done with them, to wipe them off the face of the earth, why wait 40 days to bring judgment? And the only reason that I could think of, God provides in his word in Jonah chapter four, which we're gonna see tonight. So now that we're teed up and ready to go, let's pray and we're gonna read Jonah chapter four in its entirety. Father, we praise you tonight for the opportunity you've given us already to worship you, to exalt your name, Jesus, the name that is above all names. As we sang earlier, the name that one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and proclaim that you are Lord and you are God, you are master, every person. I pray that if there's a person within earshot of me tonight that has never bowed the knee to you, that you would show them great mercy. Show them how patient you are, Lord. Grant the gift of faith and repentance tonight. We acknowledge that apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. And we need you to speak to us right now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jonah chapter four, starting in verse one, this is God's word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly 
And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would happen, what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So a very strange ending to the book. Last verse ends with a question. There's a question mark, and the Lord's talking about cattle. It's pretty weird, right? Uh, now, uh, this is a very strange response also from Jonah, okay? But before we act all self-righteous and berate Jonah for being a bonehead, let's see if we can put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, all right? And this is gonna be hard, but let's see if we can do it. Look at verse one. It says that what God did displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. He was angry. He just saw the greatest revival in the history of the Bible, and he was angry. This is usually cause for great joy. Any pastor who sees a revival like this would be worshiping the Lord. But this has turned Jonah sour. And this tells us a little bit about what's going on inside of Jonah's heart. Jonah wasn't just upset. He was furious, right? He's burning with anger. In the Hebrew text, th th these words are stacked upon one another. It says displeased, exceedingly angry. This is not just like a small emotion. This is very expressive of how he felt that his enemies were being spared. So this was by far the most fruitful sermon preached. But there's no rejoicing over salvation. Perhaps it was the most fleshly sermon ever preached because it's very possible to preach while walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. As we will see later in this text, it's very possible to pray in the flesh and not in the spirit. But before we come down too hard on Jonah, Let's see if we can put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. And I tried to think of multiple different ways to do this. So some of these examples will probably land on some of you, some of them will not. But would you be pleased if God forgave 
the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. Think about this nationally, right? What about Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda? Would, would you have been pleased if they received mercy and compassion and loving kindness after 9-11? Maybe more present day. What about, I don't know, communist China, North Korea, Russia? How would you feel if Putin received full pardon? Or if uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea received mercy? If we're honest, we'd probably feel pretty upset, right? Maybe even angry because it would just seem unjust that they didn't kind of get what they deserved. And it's hard for us to think about this. It's hard for us to put ourselves in, in Jonah's shoes. Somebody said it would be what God asked Jonah to do would be like um, him saying to a Jew, walk into Nazi Germany at the height of their reign and preach the gospel by yourself. Right? But if all of these fail to hit home for you, maybe um, this would work. And I can't think, I think everybody in the room is going to be offended by this because I was very offended by it. Let's say you work, let's say you worked overtime at your job and you worked over 40 hours a week, you put in a hard month, right? And then you've got a coworker who is just slack. They're late every day. They called in sick a few times. They barely got the job done where you're going over and above and beyond. And then let's say at the same place of employment, a person gets hired a few days before the end of the month. And at the end of that month, the owner of the company puts the same amount of money in your paycheck as he does the other two dudes. How would you feel? Would you be angry? Would you be like, what the heck? This is not fair, right? This is unjust. All of us would feel kind of gypped, right? Now replace the wages with mercy. Replace the money with mercy. This is the example Jesus uses when he's teaching in Matthew 20 when it comes to the workers in the vineyard. Jesus says in Matthew 20 verse 15 as the master, the owner, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? Or how about the parable of the unmerciful servant? In Matthew 18, Jonah is acting just like that dude in Matthew 18 who owes so much to the master and can't pay it back. And the master comes, and this dude pleads for mercy. The master comes, and he forgives him of all his debt. He shows him mercy to this servant. And the servant leaves, having just been forgiven of this debt, and finds a dude who owes him a little bit of money, and he doesn't show mercy to that dude. Instead, he punishes him. He doesn't extend the same mercy that he just received from his own master. And this is what we see Jonah doing in this story. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are way more like Jonah than we're not. We're way more like Jonah than God. Now imagine if the entire city of Asheville 
repented. Now, I know that Asheville isn't mortal enemies with all of Western North Carolina, right? Um, but I use Asheville as a numerical example because Nineveh had 120,000 people in it that repented. Asheville has 94,000 people in it. If that puts it into a scale for how massive this is, right? Asheville, imagine if they repented. Can you, can you just imagine being furiously angry that all of those people turned to the Lord humbly and repented and, and found forgiveness and mercy and grace? So what does Jonah do after a six-figure altar call? What does he do? He prays. Look at his response. Chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee. I knew that you were gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So in Jonah 2, we saw an example of an unrepentant person's prayer, right? In Jonah 4, we're seeing an example of an angry person's prayer. Jonah is essentially stomping his feet on the ground. He's kicking and screaming. He's shaking his fist at God, and he's saying, I knew it. I knew you'd forgive him, and this is why. This is why I left. This is why I ran, God. Why? Why would you do this, Lord? I called it. I knew that you would not be fair. I knew that you would forgive my enemies. I knew I couldn't trust you. I knew you wouldn't do what I wanted you to do. So that's why I ran. This is an outburst. This is an angry prayer. Jonah's screaming at God. And he's showing by this prayer that he's not compassionate that he's not merciful, and that he's not loving. It's an, it's an example of a prayer that's prayed in the flesh. All right? and, and we can either pray in the flesh or we can pray in the spirit. Jude 19 says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Followers of Jesus can pray fleshly prayers where we're just selfish, self-centered prayers, or we can pray in the Holy Spirit, which is praying godly prayers, kingdom-centered prayers. Your will, not my will, be done, Lord. Listen to this definition of prayer from artist and author Shai Lin. He says this, this should be on the screen for you. Prayer is offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So if we just look at this definition of prayer, Jonah wasn't praying in agreement with God's will. He, he didn't care about God's will and, and his will wasn't clearly in alignment with Jonah's will. He wouldn't be so angry. Jonah clearly wasn't also thankful for God's mercy as we see earlier. He as he was thankful for God's mercy personally, but not for his own. And Jonah's definitely not confessing sin here in his prayer. When Jonah was the subject of God's salvation, it filled him with thanksgiving back in chapter two, verse eight. But here, God's mercy is not celebrated by Jonah. So what we're seeing is there's a, contrast between God's character and Jonah's character. Jonah tells us why 
He ran back in chapter one. He tells us why he was rebellious. And what's funny is, even in his rebellion, he understands and knows who God is. He understands God's character, but he doesn't like it because he wants blood, because he wants revenge. He wants the Assyrians to pay for their wickedness. And as Israel would reread the book of Jonah every year on the Day of Atonement, the key verse in this entire chapter is verse two, where they would be reminded of God's character towards them. And now, I want you to to think about, you can look at um, verse two while I read other verses in the scriptures and see how similar they are. Listen to this. This is from Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And Psalm 145, 8 says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is how God describes himself to his people. And Jonah knows this is who God is. He knew that that God was going to show mercy and that God has already shown mercy to undeserving Israel. He's shown mercy to Jonah as well. And you remember from last week that Jonah's life is the message to Israel. Jonah is the object lesson. Now, I did some research on why. Why is Jonah read, out of all the books, why is Jonah the book that's read annually by Jewish people on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement? And one rabbi said this. He said, the story of Jonah teaches us how no one is beyond the reach of God's hand and God spared the people of Nineveh, which teaches us that God's mercy awaits those who repent full heartedly wholehearted repentance that's a reminder it just so happens that the Jews will be reading this book next week because next Monday is Yom Kippur in her commentary Elizabeth Achmeyer says this in short the heart of Israel's understanding of God is set forth here in verse 2 In one brief sentence, Yahweh of Israel is a God who would rather forgive than destroy, who takes pity on all who have need, who is not quick to condemn, and when condemning is not quick to act in judgment, who loyally loves all of the creatures and beings created in his world. That God of an absolute unique compassion and love, which are unachievable by human beings, is the God who has forgiven Nineveh, and Jonah is angry. And he's in the middle of his little temper tantrum still in verse 3, where he goes on, he continues, Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And how does God respond? He asks the question. The Lord says, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah would rather die than to see his enemies repent and avoid God's wrath. Proverbs 19 says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Jonah has a death wish. He, he already wanted to be thrown overboard and drown, and now he's asking God himself to take his life from him. Now, why does he want to die? Why is he seemingly giving up? I think it's because his view of justice 
what's right and fair and good doesn't square with God's. I think his view is different than God's and he doesn't want to live in a world where his view is different than God's. So what's God's response to this angry prophet? The Lord asks a very simple question. Do you do well to be angry? A lot of us probably think that Jonah deserved a spanking right here or that God should just, hey, I'll I'll grant your wish. You're more trouble than you're worth. But he doesn't. He asks him a question. And And I read this as if like, God was really calm while asking the question. And I bet that God's calmness irritated Jonah to no end. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and they just remained super calm and that just made the person even madder? Maybe you've been angry with God before. It's okay if you have. It's okay to be angry at God. He can handle your anger. The question is, can you handle God's questions? For some of us tonight, I think the word of the Lord that all we need to hear is, do you do well to be angry? What is your anger accomplishing? Is it healthy? Is it righteous? Is it good? Like whatever your search circumstances are, whatever your situation is, do you do well to be angry? And what's funny is God asked Cain in Genesis 4 this exact same question. In Genesis 4, 6, after Cain's brother, Abel, after his offering was accepted and Cain's was not, God comes to Cain and it says this, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? But Cain doesn't respond to God's question. Instead, he goes out and murders his brother because anger always leads to irrational behavior. Always. And likewise, Jonah in this passage does not answer God's question. He's silent. Instead, he goes out to pout like a spoiled child who didn't get what he wanted. And I did a little research, and I found a picture of Jonah in the wilderness pouting. (laughs) And a lot of you apparently have seen this movie, but this is a picture of Nacho Libre. And I thought in my mind, this is immediately the first thing I thought of, I was like, He's like, there's no place for me here. In here or out there, I'm going to the wilderness to die. <laughs> so like, and so this is, the, this is what I feel like is the booth that Jonah made. Like he goes out there and he like made this booth. And if you think I'm making it up, look at verse five. It says, Jonah went out of the city and he set to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah wants God to relent of his compassion and destroy them. This prophet who just preached this sermon and got a six-figure altar call didn't stay in the city to do any ministry follow-up. He didn't stay to pray with anybody. He didn't stay to teach anybody about God's character. He didn't stay to talk to anybody or explain anything further. 
He hopes to witness some fire and brimstone from outside the city. But God is teaching Jonah a lesson about his graciousness, his mercy, his patience, his loving kindness. Look at verse six. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God in his sovereignty, as we've seen throughout this entire book, we see it here. His power and his kindness are clearly on display. How many times have we seen him say, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed the wind, God appointed the fish, God appointed a plant, right? And, and it just happens. What's shocking about verse six to me, I think, what stands out the most about verse six to me is that Jonah doesn't thank God for the plant. Jonah didn't do anything for the plant. He didn't plant it, he didn't water it, he didn't tend it, but he doesn't thank God for it. But you know what, he's super glad. It, it says that he's exceedingly glad. With his, look at verse one which is the opposite. He was displeased at the beginning and now he's exceedingly glad. So let me get this straight. Jonah's happy about a plant, but he's unhappy about people not perishing. This is jacked up, right? Like, th th this, is like, this is like the most selfish, narcissistic, petty, nationalistic, like this is a, a racist zealot. That's what Jonah comes across as right now. Like, how has God been patient with him? How has God not granted him his death wish? Because God's gracious and merciful and patient and demonstrating loving kindness. The plant is a symbol of God's grace. Throughout the Old Testament, Shade symbolizes God's grace. Psalm 121.5 says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Isaiah 4.6 says, there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. So Jonah has no problem when he himself is receiving God's grace. But Jonah has a problem with God showing grace to his enemies. And we love to be on the receiving end of grace, but my how hard it is to extend grace towards others. Jonah hates grace being shown to those who he thinks don't deserve it, especially to non-Israelites. But who really deserves grace? That's the question. Nobody! Nobody deserves grace, right? So, personally, are you exceedingly glad because of God's grace? Are you exceedingly overjoyed because of the grace God has shown towards you? If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, with the living God, then you are living in the shade of God's grace. He, he has shade over your head 
You know why? Because you're resting in the shadow of the cross of Christ. And the word here, discomfort, in Hebrew is ra, which means evil. So if you, if you read that differently, that, what, what it says is God's grace saved Jonah from his evil. God's grace, this is the gospel. God's grace saved Jonah from his evil. God's grace in Christ has truly saved and delivered us from our evil. Are we exceedingly glad for his grace? Because I think the most simple definition of grace I can think of is grace is getting something you do not deserve. While mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. So grace is receiving something as a, a free gift. You didn't earn it, that you don't deserve it, right? And mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. Look at verses seven and eight. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. So the Lord gave the plant and the Lord took the plant away. God sent a very hungry caterpillar to do his bidding. And Jonah had more concern for his own comfort than compassion for other people. I think that's a massive indictment on Jonah and on us. Ironically, we see yet again that nature obeys God immediately while Jonah does not. God brought comfort to Jonah and God brought discomfort to Jonah. He's giving him a lesson right here in compassion. But Jonah's not happy about it. And he did not respond like he did in the belly of the fish when he was thankful. He's still angry. Now the word anger or angry in Hebrew is literally to be hot. So God is allowing Jonah to feel some heat right here. Right? And what's funny is when I think about anger, Allie um, knows what gets me most irritable. And it's when I'm either hot, hungry, or tired. Have you ever been hangry? Yeah, yeah. But if you combine all of those things, hot, hungry, tired, then that's a, a recipe for disaster, right? Jonah is demonstrating three mistakes that angry people make. Number one is he quit serving God and others. He could care less. Number two is he separated himself from everybody else. And number three is he became a spectator to life. He just gave up. He stopped. All three of these are extremely selfish. They're self-centered. They only concern themselves. He's, he's inward focused right now above all else. Once again, he has more concern for his own comfort than compassion for people. And how does God respond to him now? Look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So this time, Jonah actually responds to God's question. 
And this is the fifth time in this chapter alone that Jonah expresses his desire to die. And it's interesting that these are the last words recorded in the book of Jonah by Jonah from his mouth. Commentator Eric Redman gives a beautiful description of Jonah's downward spiral here. I want to read it to you. He said, when things do not turn out as we desire them to, we find ourselves in truth angry with the will of God for our lives. It is then that we, like Jonah, run the gamut of feelings from a simple pity party, woe is me, to depression, where we don't even feel like getting up most days. And from there, we slide into despondency, where we check out mentally and emotionally from a relationship. And then to despair, where we can't see anything good at all. Finally, if we do not recognize the downward emotional cycle, we can land at Jonah's death wish because we can see no way to make life fair. God, it would be better if I were just dead. So Jonah is seething angry. He's inflamed with anger and he just wants to die. But here's the problem. God's not ready for him to be dead. God's not done teaching his prophet a lesson. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor do you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So Jonah cares more about plants than people. Sadly, I don't think we are much different today. We can make fun of Jonah all we want, but we live in a day and age where people pity their pets more than people. Where people take care of plants more than other people. Where people love their car, their truck, their house, their motorcycle more than people. No sympathy, no pity, no concern for the suffering or the lost who are dying in sin. Jonah's passion for Israel and for himself has blinded him. His unrighteous anger has clouded his judgment. He failed to see that the plant was temporary, but people have eternal souls. And God's reminding Jonah that God alone is sovereign over nations and nature. God causes the plant to grow. God causes the plant to die. God raises up a nation and God brings nations down. And the last verse in this chapter, the last verse in this book is a question. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God created 120,000 image bearers in that city. He caused every heart to beat in that city. He gave every person breath in their lungs in that city. He's been patient with them for centuries until he had a word from his prophet for them so that he could show them pity and compassion and mercy even though they didn't deserve it. So let me make some personal application for us. 
coming right out of verse 11 by reading another passage in scripture. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Nineveh did nothing to deserve God's love. And we've done nothing to deserve God's love. But God's merciful. God has mercy, Jonah has none. And we're more like Jonah than unlike him. We are unwise, foolish, hard-hearted, short-sighted, and short-fused. And God wanted Jonah to know that Nineveh's sin was mainly against him and not against Jonah or Israel. When we sin, it's against the Lord, mainly. And I don't know about you, but I'm super thankful that nobody in this room is God. I'm thankful that I'm not God because we are more unsympathetic than compassionate. And aren't you glad that God doesn't have temper tantrums? Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve? God cares more about everything than we do. He cares more about animals than you do. He even mentions cattle to Jonah to drive the point home. He loves his creation, especially people. His compassion is matchless. God created the people who resided in Nineveh and it grieved his heart that they did not know their right hand from their left. And that statement sounds weird. Well, what does it mean? It's basically saying that they were ignorant of biblical truth. They were ignorant of godly morals or spiritual ethics that guide our behavior towards God and others. And Jonah was angry. So angry he couldn't see straight. And he exhibits how a man responds who has a terrible memory of God's grace and God's mercy. I think if there was ever an act of injustice, it was the night Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified. Jesus did not deserve that, but he willingly did it looking back to Nineveh and looking forward to today, to you and to me. Listen to the contrast between Jonah and Jesus that Johnny Artavinus gives in his podcast. He says this, Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater prophet. The prophet Jonah was asking for fire from heaven. The greater Jonah has a heart of mercy. The prophet Jonah won't lift a finger to help the lost. The greater Jonah offered his life to seek and save the lost. The prophet Jonah doesn't remain in the city. He distances himself and prays that God would pour out his wrath. The greater Jonah looks out over the city and weeps because he has a profound compassion for sinners. The earthly Jonah is a selfish prophet who doesn't think beyond himself. The greater Jonah humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death. The earthly Jonah seeks destruction, but the greater Jonah seeks reconciliation. The prophet Jonah thanks mercies for saints. The greater Jonah extends his mercy only to sinners. What a massive 
difference between God and us, between Jonah and Jesus. So back to our original question. If God was so fed up with Nineveh and their wickedness, why wait 40 days to bring judgment? Why does God not destroy America right now? Why does God not wipe out Andrews tonight? Why does God allow our wicked hearts to still beat right now? Well, Jonah gives us the answer in verse 2. Because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he does not delight in the death of anyone. And that's why he sent his only son to express his great love for our wicked world. The book of Jonah teaches us a lesson in God's patience and willingness to give time for people to repent. Listen to this. God had patience with Nineveh by sending Jonah in the first place to hear his word. God was patient with Jonah when he was rebellious and tried to run away. God was patient with the sailors when they were crying out to vain idols. God was patient through Jonah's message to the city of Nineveh. And God is still patient today with you and with me. And the purpose of God's patience is to lead us to repentance. It says in Romans chapter two, verse four, This verse is so important, I'm gonna read it in three different translations. The first, NIV. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And the New Living Translation says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In the ESV, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? May we not think that we can take advantage of God's kindness. May we not take it for granted either. Because it also says in 2 Peter 3, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. And some people mock Christians because Jesus said he would come back and he hasn't come back yet. But the very fact that Jesus has not come back yet is a testimony of his patience. This is God's message to us tonight. God is patient with you and with me. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. And Jesus said that Nineveh turned into a model of repentance and we should take heed of their transformation. May we be able to stand with the Ninevites who humbly repented when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead. Let's respond like the Ninevites in humility and cry out for mercy. Join me as we close in prayer. And by praying, I'm gonna read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And renew a right spirit within me, O God. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. And you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. O Lord, let us hear joy and gladness. Let us rejoice in your grace, mercy, and patience with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.